All right, let me pray before we get started. Pray with me. Um, Father, thank you that we can gather here to worship you today. We are grateful. Um, we, are, we are particularly grateful that uh, Roe versus Wade has been struck down. We are grateful to you that the blood of many innocent children will be spared from being shed. Thank you, God, for this kindness. Please strengthen your people to continue to witness against abortion and the shedding of innocent blood. And we ask that on the state level, um, many states would make abortion illegal within their bounds. We pray for Indiana in particular and for Governor Holcomb that he would follow through on his pro-life commitments and that he would outlaw abortion here. And we ask that we would care about these children and their mothers and remember them in prayer and that you would help your church to stand as a witness. We also lift up to you Pastor Jody Killingsworth today in Bloomington, Indiana, as he is going to be installed later tonight as the new senior pastor of Trinity Reformed Church up there. And we ask that you would give him and his family grace as, as he accepts this new level of responsibility and pressure And we pray that it would be a blessing to him and to that church. And we ask again that you would bless Tim Bailey, the former senior pastor, as he steps down and as he and his wife, Mary Lee, start a new stage of their life together. Please bless them and be with them. And now, Father, please be with us. Be with me and my words and give them grace. Be with the ears of everyone who hears. We pray that what I say and what everyone hears will be pleasing in your sight and that you will be pleased to make it useful to us. Please be with us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning. So this, this is the fourth sermon in our self-help summer, as we're calling it. That's some clickbait right there. Um, it's godly self-help from Proverbs. We're going to talk about how to use words. I don't want to shock anyone here, but the book of Proverbs is, in fact, completely made up of words. In fact, the whole Bible is made up of words. It's just, it's all words. But let's stick with Proverbs. Proverbs is the father talking with his son, right? That's the frame of the book. What is it that the father hopes, expects, will be the result of all these words? What is it he wants to happen? So many words. Um, I meant to bring a Bible so I could hold it up, but I don't have that, but you you know how long Proverbs is. There's a lot of them. Um, Well, he's using words so that by God's kindness, his words will be a part of saving his son's soul. That's actually what he wants. And he wants to save his son from many other places of destruction and calamity and terrible things that could happen to him in his life if he's not wise. So he's using, he's using words so that his son will fear God. Eternal life, eternal death, but also bankruptcy, a bad marriage, bad friendships, laziness that leads to poverty, just any kind, any number of different situations. He hopes his words will do things. What about the rest of the Bible? Well, the rest of the Bible is the same. What is the gospel message? It's a form of words. I tell you words about who Jesus is. And if you have faith in Jesus through these words, you're saved. The Spirit of God works. 
The Spirit of God works. He uses the words. But the words are what God gave us. The Spirit of God's work is hidden. None of us can control that. But we can say things. We can talk about Jesus. And those words are from normal people like you and me are what God is pleased to use, right? God wanted so much to write on words. He designed the whole world this way. Words have so much power. So much power. God is a God of words. Okay, can you think of something that someone said to you in your life that kind of changed your life? Maybe for the worst. I won't do this one, but I bet if I asked you to raise your hand and, and, and just think of something that hurt you years ago that you could still remember words, right? I bet you could raise your hand and you could remember that. Okay, I, I'll ask you this one, though. Um, raise your hand if you can think of words, and let's say from years ago, if you're a kid, it can be last week, that's okay, but years ago, that helped you, that encouraged you, that changed your life for the better. All right, this is, this is, this is very interactive. <laughs> not everyone's raising their hand. That means not everyone has, everyone here has been encouraged by words, right? Okay. All right, let's, let's do another one. Maybe I can get some better participation from y'all. Um, let's see. Raise your hand if you can remember something you said to someone that you wish you could take back, that you just regret. <laughs> Danny is raising Brenda's hand. Everyone, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Um, yeah, okay, that's, that's easy, isn't it? That's easy. Every one of us has things like that. Um, okay, just one more. Then we're done with this uncomfortable participation. Um, Raise your hand if you can think of something you wish you had said when you had the chance. Just, okay, this is easy, right? This is easy. So many words that are said and unsaid that we wish we could change. Things that hurt us, but even more the things that we wish we could take back. You've heard the saying, you're going to eat your words, right? Oh, that's never, that's never going to sell, Bob. <laughs> And then, then, then later on, Bob's like, Dan, it did sell. Bob's your coworker, I guess. And, and, and he's like, you have to eat your words now. Well, eating your words is like, you were wrong about something. You have to take it back. And you're like, ah, oh, I was wrong. Well, the Bible talks about eating your words. But in kind of a different, a more comprehensive way. It talks about eating the fruit of your words. Eating what they produce. So, Proverbs 12, 14, from the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. 18:20. from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. And then what I think of as the kicker, you could call it the theme verse of this sermon. 18:21. death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So death and life. Words are powerful. You're going to eat what your words produce. So every day, millions of farmers plant, I don't know, trillions of seeds. That's probably not the right illions number because there's more seeds than that. But we'll stick with trillions. They grow a crop of this or that. In Indiana, you, you see fields of corn and soybeans. Maybe you have some tomatoes in your backyard. Maybe you go to an apple orchard and you realize this tree came from one seed that now produces a crop every year. And we don't think, well, I don't think, maybe some of you do, too much about how 
tiny little pieces of debris almost have such a massive effect and determine whether or not we have food or starve, right? Or whether or not we have soy milk or it's not there. Oh no, no soy milk. Um, but that's the nature of our, our, word, our world is that little seeds produce big effects all the time, all around us, and we rely on them. And we're used to that, right? We kind of overlook it. Okay, that's your words. That's your words. Throughout your life, you're going to scatter <clears throat> millions, billions, I don't know about trillions, I didn't actually do the math on this, of your words. You're going to scatter them everywhere. You're going to send some up to God in prayer, or when you curse in your heart, and he sees those words, and those are seeds too. You're going to scatter them on your family, your kids, your wife, your husband, your parents, little seeds, your friends, your neighbors, everywhere. And they're going to grow. They're going to do things. They're going to change things. Sometimes those things take a while to show up. Maybe, maybe you've been apologizing to your husband about something. And it's a little while before your apology heals the wounds. It takes a while. Maybe, maybe it will take a while for your irritable words to your son every day to produce the fruit of exasperation, you know, alienation, frustration, anger. But that will happen too over time. You can't stop your words from doing things. Words are powerful and you have them. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. So God wants you to produce life with your words, right? Not death. Life, not death. That's a lot of responsibility when you realize how many words we all say every day. A lot of them without thinking, maybe just reacting. But it's a lot to look forward to if you and I can use our words in a way that is good and that produces life in God's kindness. What if we can do that? Isn't that exciting? Isn't that worth learning how to do? So I want to I talk about three different things regarding how we use words. One is, listen before using words. Two is, use words carefully. And three is, use words to love people. There's a lot of over overlap between these, which you'll see. But let's go. So I hope you're excited. I hope you're excited. Getting ready to use some words. Change the world, you know. Change the world around you. Change people around you. All right, get ready. You ready? Okay, stop. No, stop. Don't, just don't talk. Zip it. But because the first rule is listen. <laughs> the first rule is listen. That's the, first, that's the first thing Proverbs starts out with, right? Is listen. It's not talk. Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. The very, very beginning. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And that's kind of it, isn't it? Proverbs is a bunch of wise, perfect words, God's own words, designed to teach you what to do and say, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. What, what is a fool when it comes to words? 
Fool is a lot of things, but, and we'll read some more Proverbs about the fool today. But at root, a fool is someone who doesn't know how to produce any kind of good harvest with his words, or with her words. Doesn't know how. His harvest is going to be garbage. The kind of garbage like unnecessary pain, stupid fights, stupid fights, right? Wasted breath. His words are just chatter. They're not good for anything, not even to him. You don't want to be like him. It's, and it's no good to go to a fool for help. It's no good to go to him because he doesn't know how to help you. I said the first rule is to listen, right? But that doesn't mean you listen to a fool. So Proverbs 14, 7, leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. 18, 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. 10, 8, the wise of heart will receive commandments, they'll listen, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. He has nothing to give you because he's not listening to anyone else who could help him. So he hasn't gone to the wise to learn wisdom. He doesn't want it. He just wants to talk, talk, talk. He wants to express his own opinion. So how can he give you anything? He doesn't know anything. He hasn't been listening. So Proverbs 15, 31 through 32 says, The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instructions despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Reproof is a good word to know. It's something that happens to you if you listen to other people and if you ask them for help. Um, who was I going to pick on? I'm not seeing. Where's Ariane? Ah, Ariane. What's reproof? Very good. It's, reproof is to be told that you're doing it wrong. Kids don't like that. Do you like being reproved? No. But a, do you think that adults like being reproved? What would you guess? No, adults don't like it either. <laughs> we, don't, we don't like it either. We don't want that to happen. We actually design our lives to avoid that happening, right? <laughs> oh, I, if, if you figure out you did something wrong, and you can say, oh yeah, I'm sorry, I'll take care of that, before anyone has a chance to say to you, you did that wrong, oh, absolutely. We do that all the time. We design our lives to avoid it. <laughs> no, I don't want to hear from you that I did it wrong. Maybe I can say that to myself, but spare me the indignity of being told by someone else that I'm wrong, please. Wise people don't have that attitude. They don't. Wise people have the attitude that reproofs are helpful. Years ago, I was a janitor at my former church that we've been praying for this past couple of weeks, and I was... I, it was some event, maybe it was our Christmas sing-along, I don't know. I was doing this and that to get the building ready, and I was behind because people were already in the building, and the janitor's closet was full of trash that hadn't been taken out, and it was starting to smell. And a friend of mine came in for some reason, and he saw the state of the closet, and he was like, no, no, I'm going to help you out. So he, I think he closed the door behind him or something, and he was like, look, you need to take care of this. You're not on it. If the pastor's wife comes in here and sees this, she'll start, she'll be grossed out, and she'll start taking out the garbage that you should have already taken out. And that will not be good for you. <laughs> I, I was not happy with him. I was not happy with him. But you know what happened to me is I reset my priorities, 
and I got that done. And then, later on, I was grateful to him. I was grateful to my friend, right? Um, Proverbs 28, 23 says, Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Uh, Taryn, what's flattery? Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. So she said it's like giving people a lot of compliments that they don't deserve. It's like lying, right? Flattery, flattery is about making someone feel good about themselves. And as an adult or as a kid, you actually know the difference between people who flatter you and people who love you. They're not the same people. They're not the same people. Don't, look, go, don't go to people who flatter you. <laughs> they don't love you. They're not helping you. They're lying. And don't flatter. When someone's trained to listen, they have a humble spirit, which changes how they talk. If you can think of someone in your life that you trust, that you love, that you would, that you would go to and say, help me. I bet, I bet I know what they're like. I bet I know one characteristic they have. They listen to you. And you know that they listen. They listen to you. They're not hasty to speak to you. They don't just start giving you advice before they understand your situation. Proverbs 29.20 says, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. We all have a tendency towards haste in our words, but you can always do this with your hand. You can put your hand right over your mouth. You can stop yourself for a second. Um, if you're going to be good at loving people with your words, you can't be hasty. You've got to restrain yourself. This all brings us to the second point. Point two, use words carefully. Use words carefully. When you do talk, Proverbs 15.28 says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. So the righteous aren't going to pour out evil things, but they're also not going to be hasty. Let me give you a few more. 13.3, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. There's a principle of self-preservation here. If you just say whatever comes to your mind, it's not going to end well for you. Proverbs 17, 27 to 28. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Oh, does your sister make you angry? What happens if you just open your mouth and say the first thing that comes to your mind? <laughs> just go ahead and do it. Well, a nasty fight, of course. Hurt feelings. Parental discipline. Adults are the same in our ways. If I just open my mouth and say the first thing that comes to mind when I begin to have a fight with my wife, it's bad. We need to hold ourselves back. We have to listen a little more. We have to think for a second, hold on. <laughs> what words would please God? <laughs> what would they be? And if no words come to mind that would please God, you have a wonderful option. Don't say anything. <laughs> it's a great option. And you'll look wiser than you are. Because even a fool is considered wise if he shuts his mouth at the right time. And all of us kind of have a little fool inside of us, right? You got to keep him tamped down. 
Sometimes that's the best we can do until we cool off. Um, Also, listen, okay, no one needs to know all that you have to say. This is just a general rule for general situations. Applies to you if you're a teenager, especially. Maybe girls a little more than boys, but don't be too offended, boys, too. Um, And it applies to you if you're eight. And it applies to you if you're 38 or if you're 88, although we give older folks more latitude because they deserve it. But when I was in high school, I had a college job. I had a job at a college cleaning dorms. Me and janitor work, we go way back. My dad had a janitor business, so I feel like a lot of my work is janitor work. So I had a coworker. I was in high school. I had a coworker who was college age. I think he was going to the school at the time. He was from Africa. He was a little older. He was a sweet guy. He was a Christian. And I didn't have an older brother. And I was like just eager to be his buddy. And I really liked working with him. And everything he had to say, I had something to say. What do you know about that? Didn't matter what he had to say. I had something to say. Oh, that reminds me of this thing that I learned. Oh, that reminds me of this Bible verse. Oh, that reminds me of this movie. And one day, very gently, and a little exasperated, but very gentle, <laughs> this guy said to me, you have an answer for everything. <laughs> and that took the wind out of my sails. And I no longer had an answer for everything. <laughs> Not everything. I stopped. And the world was a happier place. (laughs) It was. There's more to be said about not talking. There's so much. Making a whole sermon about not talking would just be a breeze. Here's just a few more. Two more. 1813. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. 1112 to 13. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps the thing covered. Which is another point. It's easier to not gossip if you say less, right? Yeah? All right. Okay, I'll stop. But the point of not talking, the point, is that when you do speak, your words will be helpful. They won't be what doesn't need to be said. (laughs) They'll be what needs to be said. (laughs) That's the idea. Restraining, Restraining our words makes us stronger. When we hold them back, we can use them at the right time, in the right way. Proverbs 15, 23, and this is part of the last point, which is point three. Use words to love people. Use them to love people. Proverbs 15, 23 says, To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. It is a joy to know what to say to people at the time we should say it. That time when they need a word of encouragement, or when you know you need to say something to your son or daughter, and you're just tempted to say something angry because it's the 50th or 50,000th time you've dealt with it, but you have an inkling you should say something else. What is it? Isn't it nice to know what that thing is when you need it? Or when a neighbor asks you about your church and you're like, oh no, what am I supposed to do? Do I start talking about Jesus or do I just try to avoid religion because it's going to offend? Or what do I? It's nice to know what to say, right? How do I talk about Jesus? That's what this proverb is saying, an apt answer. 
And there are all kinds of everyday situations where you and I need the right words, and we're not going to go through all of them or something, but we do have basic principles of how to love people with our words. And the first one is tell the truth. Tell the truth. We have a lot of pressure on us in many situations not to tell the truth. Proverbs 14.5 says, A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. Then a little down in the chapter, 14.25, A truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. Truth is how we save people's lives. If you're in a courtroom and you're a witness and you won't identify the murderer and you lie, the wrong man could go to jail and lose his life. And the blood of the innocent would never be avenged or reckoned with or dealt with justly. Okay, that's, that's high pressure. That's, that's Oscar-winning courtroom drama stuff right there, right? Most of us are not going to be a witness in a murder trial. But Proverbs, Proverbs is starting at the, the highest pitch, right? Because it understands that truth does lead to life or death for all of us in many situations, right? You don't have to go take a witness stand. You could just decide not to tell the truth in a little way, consistently, around the dinner table. You could, you could lie about money at work in a little way, as it seems to you. You could just, in an uncomfortable conversation with a coworker, not say certain things about what you believe as a Christian to make your life easier, maybe even shade it a little, to make them think you're something that you're not, right? To be nice, to be nice. And that could be the difference for them between someone who tells them the truth about the issues of life and death eternally, or never does. Someone who's willing to like put the foot under the door, in the door. What's this expression I'm looking for? Put the, I'm sorry. Someone who's willing to put their foot in the door right? And just indicate that, like, actually, I am a real Christian. I do have convictions. And if you want to talk more about it, I put my foot in the door. There's ways of doing that in a conversation, and there's ways of lying about who you are so that you can avoid that discomfort. (laughs) You get me. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And telling the truth or not telling it in this way or that will shape the culture of our families shape how our kids think about how they should or shouldn't tell the truth to appear good to others, which is all of our temptation. It's a temptation for me as a pastor. Don't think that because I preach, it's not. False. False. Pastors face the same desire, including when they're preaching. Do you think we want to say everything the Bible says when we read it? Oh! Whoa! (laughs) Sometimes you read the Bible and you think, whoa, (laughs) well, at least I don't have to talk with so-and-so about that, (laughs) right? Oh, man. But the truth, the truth is what we're made of as Christians. The truth is what God's word is. The truth is who Jesus was. We have to tell the truth. Okay, and second, first is tell the truth. Second is speak graciously. Speak graciously. The Proverbs have a lot to say about that. Gracious. Gracious is one of those words that just, I think it goes in my ear and out the other ear. Because what does gracious even mean? 
Well, it means a lot of things. When you start to look at the Proverbs and try to nail down what are you talking about, it's helpful. It means kind, generous, gentle, patient. It means full of God's grace, kind of acting in the character he has, right? It's not the same thing as being nice. I would say the difference between being nice and being gracious is that niceness is mostly about avoiding conflict, right? Graciousness is more about loving the other person, doing a kindness to them. That might mean they don't walk away thinking you're nice. Hopefully it does, but it might not. It's actually not the same focus, right? Does that make sense? So being gracious in the scriptures is about making your speech more effective so that when you tell the truth, you're not a jerk. It's so that you can be firm while being kind, so that you can stand your ground without, you know, yelling, unless you ought to be yelling. But that's another sermon, maybe. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's an easy one, right? You could deal with a conflict one way, you could deal with it another. You could say, you could, you could have control of your spirit and talk about a problem with a relatively soft tone. Or you could just tell that guy what you really think and see how that goes. Proverbs 15.4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. When you and I are hurt by someone else in a fight, what we want is to be perverse. All that means is that you want to get them back. That's perversity. Well, if I say it this way, it'll push their button, and that will make me happy. Because they just made me mad, so now I get to make them mad. That's perverse. The Bible says, no, don't do that. Not only, not only is it sin, it won't help you get what you want, which ought to be peace, right? <laughs> Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 25, 15. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. How do you approach your boss? about things. You've probably learned that if you come to your boss angry and complaining, you're less likely to get what you want. But if you come thinking, I'm playing a long game, I'm going to understate what's going on, I'm going to tell him what's going on as best I can, and I'm going to do it more than once at the right timing, <laughs> not before he's had lunch and he's hangry. That's the bad time. In other words, you're thinking about all these things, when to use words, how to use the words. That's more likely to get a good result. So the wise man is careful. There's things he could say that he doesn't, which goes back to the second point, right? Be careful. I used to work for a man named Bob Kaplowitz who had cerebral palsy. He started life as a paraplegic, couldn't really walk on his own, he ended life as a quadriplegic last year, he couldn't really move his limbs at all or use them for anything. It's just the nature of cerebral palsy that your brain-muscle connection decays as you get older. And so he couldn't, he couldn't even eat by that time. His mind was fine. His mind was always fine. Bob had a degree in musicology, I believe, from Indiana University. Bob loved music, classical music, but especially opera. 
Ah, I've listened to many operas because I was a caregiver for Bob. And I assure you, I would not have listened to them if I had not been a caregiver for Bob. But I got to hear a lot of operas and go to a lot of operas. It is not something I expected to be doing with my time. But it's very sweet. So Bob loves all that stuff. And he was at a church, Trinity Reformed, which it's true, has a lot of classical musicians from Indiana University and the Jacob School. Sometimes those classical musicians sit down and they play a lovely string quartet during the offertory. Sometimes they do that. And there was a choir that would sing every couple of weeks, sometimes classical stuff, sometimes spirituals. So you get a little bit of that, but you know mostly what Trinity Reformed has is a band with electric guitar and drums like we've, we tried out a few times. Thanks, Eamon. And it's loud. It doesn't resemble classical music very much. Even if you're singing an old familiar hymn, you're hearing it with electric guitar. That's not Bob's favorite thing. At one point, while I was on staff with him, it made him upset. I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. But it's loud. It's loud. And he got irritated, and he got upset, and he complained to a pastor. His complaint got back to a pastor. He was just getting antsy and fed up with sitting there in his wheelchair, listening to these punks on their electric guitars during worship, when he just wants to hear some nice, restrained, classical-style music or something. So a couple pastors came over, and I was, I was on shift with Bob, and I was sitting in. Um, actually, one of them was Pastor Jody, who's being installed tonight. The other one was Pastor Phil, who also leads worship. And they, they came over, and they sat down. I don't know that I can pull every detail of what Jody did, but what he did was he said, hey, you know, hey, Bob, I heard that you feel this way about the music and all of that. And then he read from a psalm. And, and the psalm... I, I didn't even try to find it, but it was the psalm about how as the saints get old, they're still full of sap, still full of life. It's comparing them to trees. And, and Jody was saying to Bob, Bob, we really want you to give your heart to worship with us because we need you. And I know that you don't like this rock stuff. Bob, I'm a classical musician. It's actually not the first thing I would have chosen either but I think it's where the Lord has led us as a church. And we want you to, we want you to worship with us. I know it's loud. Sorry about that. Now, I, I would never have thought to approach that that way. <laughs> I don't know what I would have done. It was a learning experience. It was about the sweetest way you could have dealt with Bob. Bob, we love you. We value you. When you worship, it means a lot. <laughs> when we see you out there singing in your wheelchair, it makes us stronger, leading worship. Um, it was sweet. I, I, don't, I don't remember hearing Bob really complain anymore after that. And I don't think it's because he liked it anymore than he did. But it's because gentle words are persuasive. And Jody wasn't pretending that, well, you know, Bob, yeah, I just want you to think about that. And, you know, maybe we can... We can Maybe we'll start singing more hymns. I don't know, but I just, I just want you to, you know, think. You could see someone doing that, right? Kind of basically lying about the possibility of changing the music, which they would never intend to do, because it wasn't, <laughs> the music wasn't going to change, actually. You could see someone kind of lying or kind of giving Bob the idea, well, maybe we will. But Bob, just think about this, right? 
That's not what happened. There was no shading the truth. There was none. But there was love and there was gentleness. There was a care to make Bob feel loved and valued. And Jody wasn't lying about that either. Having Bob sing in his wheelchair, it actually meant a lot to worship. He wasn't lying. It was valuable. When we're truthful and gracious, God may allow our words to bring healing to people. Heal relationships. Heal relationships you don't think can be healed. Well, they can't, humanly speaking, but you never know what God will do if you're willing to just follow his plan of using words the way he intends them. Don't lie. Be gracious. All right, last couple of verses for you. Proverbs 13, 14. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 10, 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Good words are food. So, we're about to go eat together, spend some time together. That's a good time to talk, right? To listen. Who are you feeding? Who are you feeding with your words in your life? Who are you, maybe in God's kindness, who are you turning toward Jesus and away from the snares of death in your life? Think about that. Think about who you want to feed. Think about the harvest you want. And let's use this time we're going to have together to listen to each other. Say things. I don't know. Who knows what will happen? Let's use it. Let's have faith for it. Let me pray for us. Father, you are, you are kind in your words and you are also truthful. We want to be like you. We want to follow the path of Jesus, who is apologetic about the truth, but who is also gracious, who knew when to be firm, who even knew when to be angry, but who also knew when to speak tenderly to the most unexpected people, the lowest of the low. Father, we want to love with our words. Please train us, train us to have listening ears, careful hearts, and loving words. In Jesus' name, amen.